On this episode of Resi Week, we talk invisible speakers, Cedia's new executive committee, and Guard Dog Cybersecurity. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 313, Get Rid of Clutter. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlona, the go-to provider for AV signal distribution and control in corporate, higher education, and residential spaces. Welcome to this episode of Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott, for AV Nation. TV. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by two of my longtime friends. First, we have Katie McGregor-Bennett. She's the president of KMB Communications. How are you doing, Katie? Doing well, doing well. You know, it's funny, when you did your intro, it almost sounded like you're Maddie Scott. Maddie Scott? No, Matt D. Along, Scott. To go along with Katie, and then to go along with Mosey. Yeah, so There's a very, very <laughs> incredibly short list of people that keep their teeth when they call me Maddie. Yeah. It's yeah. really short. I know. That's why well. I kind of got hung up there for a second. Anyways, on with yeah. your intro. And it, it's not because I do anything. It's because their dentists look at them and go, wow, your teeth are terrible. All right. Don't don't make assumptions. It's not it's not what's going down. The uh, the Mosey that she referred to is Mosey Levy. He's the senior need nerd at Backstage AV. How you doing, Mosey? Good. Thanks for having me, Maddie. Appreciate it. Th- shut up. <laughs> you starting like this already? How's my teeth? Your teeth are great. Just wait till I see you next. <laughs> Oh goodness! I'll give you a hug. That's why. Awesome, right? Yeah, it's been too long. All right, let's let's kick this off uh, with a story that comes to us from CE Pro uh, Top Five Tech of 2020. New technologies are tackling invisible sound. The latest in transducers can be used to generate invisible sound just about anywhere in a home or commercial application. I refuse to use Resimercial. Sorry, Bob. Um, well, a new era of unique speakers adds enticing ways to conceal audio. Uh, if you have hopped around Instagram or anything else, you will have seen videos of, uh, again, invisible speakers being installed. There's a, a, a litany of designs from people like MSE, Stealth, JBL has got a really cool new one. Sonance has some, uh, Amina, um, th- there's, there's, there's a bunch of companies that, that are doing it these days. Katie, when when you see this, when you read through the article and look at those options for invisible speakers, I get it. Designers love them. Um, As a rule, they love them. Integrators kind of have a mixed bag of feelings on them. Some go back to the really old transducers that you'd like glue on to drywall and use the whole wall as your speaker. Um, But the new ones and, and, and... the the lines that are out there where again you're you're putting it behind the drywall you're you're putting a box in just like you would a normal speaker except you're you're drywalling over top of it those are those are doing pretty well they're, they're they look good they sound good is this us pushing a design aesthetic that we think interior designers and and homeowners might like better than the traditional speaker or is this the industry responding to a request if you will from designers to to hide these things better 
I think it's I think it's probably somewhere in in the middle. I think that we you know these things to your point they've, they've been around for a while and I you know in the list of brands I didn't hear Pizza Hut but you know there was this April Fools thing a while back about the pizza oh, yeah. that was coming out with the speaker line and um you know and so I think uh, you know unfortunately there's, there's just sort of this bad memory of of what the transduce, transducer based versions of these are that none of us really want any part of but to answer the question is I do think I think we're accommodating a need to make tech less uh, present in a room and uh, are we going to be able to maintain the most amazing sound in every application when we do that? No. But is it an option for those that really don't want to see it in any way? Sure. You know, um, I, I see these as opportunities to to accommodate an interest that may not necessarily be the primary interest of the integrator, but an interest in the in the consumer and the homeowner. And from where I sit, the more that we can do that in a way that makes sense for our businesses, we're we're continuing to allow our, our industry to grow. If we continue to dig in our feet and say no, no, that's just nothing we want any part of, then our industry kind of just naturally will continue to shrink. And to me, that's 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 not the way we want to go. So not ideal in all applications, but you know, I get it, I understand it, and I do think it, it does accommodate a, a certain need. It's just like anything else. Is it the right for the application? If not, move on to something better, you know? Speaking of the, the application side of things, Mosey, when, how do you approach this? Do you go into every, every client meeting, every pitch with the concept of, hey, we're going to work and do our best to, to hide literally everything not letting you see even the TV on the wall because we're going to put a frame in so it looks like art. Or is this one of those things where if the homeowner or the designer or whoever you're, you're working with is is adamant that they want to see everything hidden, that you you, you pitch this, it, like it, is this something that you would pitch on the normal? Or is this just a that special application when pushed? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's funny because the majority of our business is lighting systems and part of that sale is hiding clutter on the wall. And that goes along with a lot of automation, like getting rid of thermostats on the wall and just having sensors and getting rid of alarm panels and just getting rid of clutter. That's like a huge word for us, but we do not concentrate on invisible speakers at all. Um, we've sold them, you know, I think we've sold maybe 30 of them over the past five years. Uh, the first few we put in were scary. So, you know, as an integrator, it's got to be scary for the first time you do it no matter what because it's kind of, um, you know, if you screw it up, it's bad. And the first ones we put in, they didn't sound great, and that was probably our fault, learning experience. Uh, but then we started using Naki Matone, which we've had a really good experience with, and they're great. When people ask me about them, the first thing I say is, is audio your priority here or is it hiding it? And if you're okay with decent background audio, then yeah, invisibles will be fine. It shouldn't be used in a TV room. Um, and so in those scenarios, they worked well. And the Nakimatones, even with heavy mud in front of them and everything, they work great. Um, but they're not something we push. We mention it occasionally if we think it might be a good fit. They're just, they're really expensive and that budget can go to other things that make more sense. It's not giving you any added functionality on top of a regular set of speakers and a regular set of in-ceiling speakers really aren't that obtrusive. Um, we, uh, we're actually working on a project now where the designer requested small aperture speakers, which are this giant back box in the ceiling and then this little three inch grill. And so those are similar in price to the um, invisibles, but I think that I'm going to have more confidence in them because they're not relying on some sort of muffled technology. 
Um, and then another example is today I was working on a quote for a project and it's a spec home and they're trying to get the budget to 70,000 and the, um, the real estate agent for some reason has a ton of input on where they should go with their system. And the real estate <laughs> agent tells me, tells them, well, we should do mesh network and mesh lighting instead of centralized lighting, instead of a real network. I'm like, guys, this, you're hiring me for my opinion. Don't do that. That's crazy. So they're like, okay, fine. We're going to follow your opinion. What can we do to get the price down? I said, well, the invisible speakers that the real estate agent really wants to put in there, they're $5,000. And I don't think it's going to make your home that much more attractive. I don't think it's going to sell your home more than a lighting system would or something else. Would. So while I'm not against them and I do put them in when called for, um, you know, we don't push them. Is that not the biggest pushback against this though? Like if you're sitting down and, and having that discovery meeting and the, the designer's got a budget to work with, right? And when they get very excited over invisible speakers because they don't want to see something, at what point does it become this push pull over? Okay. So we can do like 200, $400 repair in ceilings plus install, yada, yada, yada versus these, you know, significantly thousands uh, of dollars into a invisible speaker system. At what point does the designer, I don't, I don't want to say give in, but look at the dollars and cents side and go, okay, I'd rather not lose to, to your point, Mosey five grand in design budget over some speakers that are probably a thousand dollars at most with a really good quality in ceiling. Yeah. So my thought is that whenever something like invisible speakers go into a project that the homeowner has to accept that their budget is now growing, it should not, it should absolutely not take away from any existing, uh, systems design going in there. You know, Matt, I was having a conversation with someone in the industry last week, um, and they said, you know, I was I was sitting in a presentation a few years ago, and, the, and I heard something I've never heard before, haven't heard since, but I've never forgotten, which is, how do you want your sound to look? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, talking to a homeowner when doing that discovery, you know, I think if you ask that question, the answers start, you know, it creates a very simple decision tree beyond that that either puts these into that category or not. You know, if the answer is, I don't want to see my sound whatsoever, any way, shape, form, or manner, okay, then maybe we need to, maybe we need to introduce this, but Matt, to your point, they will come at a cost. And I think that that, you know, it's how, how everybody gets paid in the equation. Uh, that's a bigger, you know, it's a bigger conversation, but it plays directly into this. You know, are, are you taking from the design budget? Or are you adding to it by adding better enhanced products that should then add to that design budget? You know, it's bigger conversation than today, but, um, yeah, it, it's always interesting to have that conversation about what design costs and how to achieve the, the desired design with whatever budget you have, which is never enough. We know that it's never enough. It matters a lot more when it comes to outdoor audio or, or places where it's difficult to fit a speaker in to make it look good. Yeah. A, a ceiling speaker is, is, um, it, it's not a problem unless you make it a problem where, where all these are, there are other scenarios where you really have to figure out what it's going to look like. I, I very rarely, to your point, Mosey, I very rarely walked into a place and I'm always looking for tech. It's so rare that you walk into a home. And go, oh my gosh, those ceiling speakers are disgusting. Right. Unless they're yellow because <laughs> they're 20 years old. Right. But typically with today's, you know, micro perfs and everything else, they just fade away. I, I don't understand the problem. Right. But maybe it's me. Do, don't answer. Katie, come on. All right. 
this uh, next story comes to us from I needed a laugh this week, which is why I'm making jokes about me. Um, I needed uh, to talk about this from Residential Systems. CDIA's Board of Directors has appointed the 2022 Executive Committee. Uh, a good friend of mine and a good friend of the show, David Weinstein from Lutron, has been named the new chair, as along with Jamie Breesmeister, who's also a good friend of the show out of St. Louis, Michael Sherman, uh, who I know from uh, France, and Henri out there, Alex Capasolantro from Josh AI, again, a good friend of the show, and Rob Sutherland, who has repeatedly denied my request to come on the show. But now that you're no longer chair, you have no excuse. Uh, he, he is now going to be the past chair, and I expect to have him on the show at some point very soon. Rob, I know you're probably going to listen to this, so now you get to know. Uh, Mosey, actually, Katie, sorry, I'm going to come back and, and start with you on this one before we get to Mosey on this one. The new board is is a is a good thing. Um, I, I like the makeup of it. I like the fit of it. They have a lot to 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 do and to work on from the from the exec side, but we cannot forget that Cedia just hired a new CEO, and as as important as the new exec is, I think their most important role right now for the foreseeable future is helping Daryl succeed in his new role as CEO. Am I am I overstating that or oversimplifying that? No. No, no, no. I don't I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, you know, there's these these announcements are always kind of calendarized, right? So there's the order of, <laughs> the order of things, but you know, I think that there is it will be very easy to overshadow Daryl being here um, and, you know, new mm -hmm. and in the role. Um, and I and I do hope, I mean, you know, personally, I do hope that there's a lot more conversation about him with him. I'd like to hear more from him. I'd like to see him a lot more just based on, you know, based on historical. And I think that that's where the, you know, the organization becomes one that you want to embrace and one that you want to be part of and the one that you appreciate your investment in. And, you know, I think we, we're still just from a kind of common community standpoint, I, you know, unfortunately, I'm still just I'm I'm still hearing kind of what has Cedia done for me lately, and the question about you know is is my membership worth it? And you know I do think that that is that that's a sad truth. Um, so back to the original point of the, of the conversations, I'm stoked with the new executive committee and really happy to see names and faces that are on there. You know, you definitely some of those are, are very close friends and some I don't know that well. But I think, you know, it's a good cross section of, of the community um, and, and that should be celebrated. Absolutely. I just would really like to mm -hmm. see kind of the I'd, I'd like to see both sort of rise to the occasion and 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 properly support the community at large. And, you know, to your point, it really, you know, we need to see the, the organization itself and, and you know, the C-suite um, be, be very present. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Mosey, I and typically I would have gone to you first, but I wanted to get that answer before I come to you with this one. <laughs> he knows I'm going to be gentle. <laughs> well, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. It just, it, your question was specifically about the board um, or, or the exec. And, and Mosey, I wanted to ask you more of a, a general question of, you know, again, the, there's, it, it, let me, let me rephrase that for a second. Um, the exact changes every, every two years. It, this is, we know this is happening to Katie's point, but uh, with some new people coming in, some new blood uh, coming in on exec and obviously a new, new CEO coming in, CD has got a lot of new faces going on right now. Um, what does the association have to do to, to prove its value to, to a company like yours, right? You, you work in New York. 
um, in in the tri-state area. You guys are well established. You got your stuff together. It's not like you necessarily, you know, are, are sending the principals off to to learn how to pull cable, right? You guys are established. You know what you're doing. What does CD have to do to continue to prove value and relevancy to a company like yours? Um, that's a tough question because um, I'm not in a negative way, but I've never seen value in Cedia besides the trade show. And it's mostly because I don't know enough about it and what they offer. I did notice that at every trade show they offer training, which I don't think I've ever taken a class. Um, and I'm not sure what else they do besides that. I'm sure they support our large community somehow. Um, but, you know, we, we started out as a small company. Uh, we still are small. But we started out knowing a lot less 10 plus years ago, 15 years ago. And it, it wasn't CDA that helped us. And maybe that's my own fault for not looking more into it. But it was really uh, my peers in the industry that helped us grow and um, and forums and, and just talking to people. So, you know, besides loving going to the trade show, really enjoying that, really enjoying seeing everyone and, and learning that part of it. I don't know what else CDA could offer us. Katie, let me let me ask you a follow up to that. Then, given what Mosey said, right, that he doesn't fully get why—not to put words in your mouth, man—but he doesn't fully get what they're there for to help him, right? From a marketing standpoint, like, and I've I've been on the board, I've been in those strategy meetings. I know, like, I'm aware of what they've tried to do to some extent, but the fact that it's still to, to somebody like Mosey, who's been in for 10, 15 years, it, it obviously hasn't resonated with him. And his, his story is not at all unique. Right. Um, I, I heard the other day that something like less than 10% of the quote unquote community are members, right. Oh. Of, of low voltage installers and integrators. That's a really, really small number. How do they go about marketing to that community that is that, that and for our next story yeah, yeah that's the million dollar proposal question right there um it, it, it well, you know ask, can, I, can i interrupt i'm so sorry what what do yeah. they offer what is you know what don't i know that they could help with so the big the big stuff is obviously education um, government affairs uh, is a huge thing that's under or under respected. I'm going to say, uh, as far as every time a state legislator or a federal legislator comes out and tries to, you know, make low voltage POE wiring the sole domain of electricians, CD is one of the the, the lead organizations fighting that. Right, all of that kind of stuff is huge. Um, the uh, we talked about training, we talked about certifications obviously trade show stuff, community stuff. That's kind of the, the just of what the association does. And again, not a spokesperson, but been around it for a minute. Um, but it is, it, I think the desire is to be the, the go-to place where if you're bringing somebody on board, you're going to run them through CEDIA certifications and trainings so that they get a general knowledge of everything going on, right. And, and how the industry, uh, is, is expected to, to run and work. And then you can you can supersede that or, or specify beyond that with manufacturer specific training. And I again, maybe I'm overstepping and I'll get a call from somebody in Indiana later about it. But 
you know, to a degree that that's kind of how I've always perceived it, right? They're fighting to, to, to allow us to do our jobs better and, and continue to do our jobs better. The, the hard thing is that, you know, there's a lot of competition for training. There's a lot of competition for, for certifications and that gets into a much bigger conversation, which I don't want to do. Um, but I, it, it, it's a tough one to, to, to prove value. Right. And I, I don't know what the magic marketing bullet is to get that message across. I think, it, you know, one of the big challenges is that, you know, and again, I'm, I don't, I don't work for them and I don't have all of the, the membership benefits and that's not what we're here to talk about today anyways. But, you know, I think that there are, there are benefits to the business and the, or and therefore the business owner more so than the employees of a particular business. So, you know, I think part of it is just that our community is made up not only of the principal partner or, you know, the principal of, of, of a firm, but, you know, that firm and all of its employees who many of the benefits really don't on a day-to-day basis don't don't apply to their certifications yes 100 percent, absolutely but you know mm-hmm. some of the the, the health, health insurance benefits you know the the propel program the you know those those types of things that are you know they're available but you know at the technician level they're not really going to realize that so what has cedia done for me lately for that person they may not, you know, they may not answer that question in any other mm-hmm. way than, you know, I don't really know. But, you know, at the as a business owner and a small business owner who needs help with those kind of resources, just, you know, day-to-day ops, biz ops kinds of stuff, there are membership advantages and benefits there that I think, you know, many do take advantage of. But, you know, what percentage of, the, of our community does, is that, you know, and I suspect that's, that's probably fairly small as well. But, you know, honestly, I think the bigger challenge is just in, in educating and, and inspiring the industry and, and our community of wanting to be part of it and, and helping it, mm-hmm. helping it, the thing grow, you know, and, and having sold the trade show, that's, that's kind of a challenge because, you know, a lot of people, to Moise's point earlier, is they don't own the show anymore, right? Show. So, they, so the value yeah. of the membership isn't in the trade show at all, right? They sold the trade show? <laughs> they did. What, is that? what does that mean? I love you, buddy. That was a couple years ago. Wow. <laughs> I told you. He lost a, he lost a couple years with COVID, guys. Leave him alone. <laughs> How do you sell a trade show? What does that even mean? I don't, they I, sold it to uh, Emerald Expositions out of Chicago, who now run that show. So there's still a partnership thingamajogger. They still offer education, but the show is run by um, Emerald. That's all. Yeah. So from, from a attendee standpoint, nothing really changed. Yeah. Just who you get emails from differs. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> all right, let's let's change topics for a, for a second because I want to get into this one before we let you guys go. This comes to us from Resi Tech today. Cybersecurity brand GuardDog.ai has been added to the Cedia Propel Partner Program. One of those benefits Katie just talked about uh, in my best pitch voice possible. Uh, GuardDog uses AI-driven network overlay tech to find and protect attempted. Cyber attacks in less than two milliseconds. Uh, So through this, you can sign up to to get Propel, or sorry, sign up to get Guard Dog through Propel, and you should get some discounts and and some other cool things. Um, Mosey, this is this has been a continual topic uh, across the channel for gosh years now. Uh, The threat of cybersecurity and how to best protect your clients for it. Guard Dog's got some really cool stuff and some really cool AI that is supposed to help uh, eliminate a lot of those problems. How do you go about 
pitching or, or, or managing the the cybersecurity aspect of your clients' systems? Is that something that you even touch on, or is it something you you hands off on? We don't even discuss it. It's not a subject. It's not a question my clients ask me. Um, it's not even something that we think about. We put in a fairly solid router firewall. Uh, we make sure not to leave ports open, and, and that's kind of the end of us thinking about it. And so far, it's never been an issue. Not to say that we shouldn't be thinking about it. Maybe we should. Maybe it will be an issue eventually. But um, so far, never even a conversation. So do you do you do you not talk about it from the standpoint of it's value add? We all we're going to do it no matter what. So there's no point in having the discussion, or because you don't want to get into the the rabbit hole that can be cybersecurity. Um, it's it's basically has never it has never been an issue um, where we've had a system under attack or we've had any of those issues. So it's just not something that we think about. We put in a solid router. Okay. There's no yearly fee to it, and so it's not something that affects our system performance. It's not something that adds functionality for us, and that's why it hasn't really come up. All right. Katie, when you when you follow this, when you see this, there are there are people or voices within the channel who argue that we should be touting this and and promoting this dramatically with every client everywhere, and not to fear monger, but kind of fear monger and do the like, you need to be protected. Did you not see that baby monitor got hacked three weeks ago and that Tesla got hacked? All that stuff, right? Um, and it always pops up in the news that oh, these people are chiming in and talking to your child on their Alexa in their room. Um, or do you, do you take the approach of, you know, recommending something like our dog or any of the other firewall or intrusion protection products out there and kind of, I don't want to say wipe your hands of it, but just offer a solution that you don't directly manage and you don't necessarily directly touch. How do you, how do you show the value in there is there value in showing that so yeah i i think there's great value in that um i think i i think that i i can i say that confidently though because i know at my core the type of person that i am and the type of transparency that i want to have in all of my interactions whether it's with a client or on a personal basis um but i think the bigger thing is, is you know i think ethically the integration community really should be making this part of the conversation, whether they are the resource or facilitating the resource or the installation, not my point. But I think having the conversation, just presenting the potential hazards, risks, and inviting a conversation, pros and cons, allowing the homeowner to make their decision and sign off on it and sign off on it so that there is no further conversation, no further resource waste on it, unless they agree and they want to have something done. I look at that, then, you know, they sign off, fine, then you you no further obligation. But if you've inspired them, RMR. And 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 why 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 not continue to be the resource? I that's just kind of my take. I I am not a fan of integrators who take the contractor type of mentality, get in, get out, get paid, and don't go back unless we have to. And and Mosey, I don't I mean no offense and and not putting you guys in that whatsoever, you know, just in case you were beginning to think that's where I was going. Quite the opposite. <laughs> quite the opposite. But you know, I just think that, you know, it's it's kind of a it's a bit of an ethical thing, but I also I just look at our at our industry and go, you know, if we don't continue to evolve and continue to expand our service offering, 
the future for us may be much smaller than any of us would like to like to admit. And so, you know, this is, for me is kind of one of those gateway elements that we really should be there. But I'm not in integration, so I, you know that's that's the basis of my <laughs> of my conversation here. It's not the reality of being in the trenches. Do you guys have any experience with with uh, your customers or clients having uh, intrusion issues? You do. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah, we had, and now on the resi side, only once on the small commercial and, and mid sized commercial, a couple of times, and it can be really bad. Um, and I, I'm I'm going to preface that with. One of the commercial projects, we had the sign-off from the client where they they declined high-quality intrusion protection. Um, and on two of the other major ones where we had major issues, not only did they ask for it and get supplied it, um, they had legitimate top-notch firewall intrusion protection stuff, and they still got hammered. And it still took three to four weeks to get it cleaned up and cleaned out with, and I'm, I'm the, I'm not going to tell you how much guard dog costs, but if you go look it up yourself, not, not you, but anybody listening, you know, it's not super cheap. It's not super expensive. Uh, this was significantly higher. <laughs> this was in the multiple thousands a month in fees to maintain, and they still got hammered. Which, which has been one of my, uh, I, I was thinking before you asked that question that I really need to get a lawyer on here who deals in IP. Um, and I, I, I know one I might reach out to because my concern has always been if you like, if you sell ADT or any security system like that, right? They give you that, that contract that states that they're not liable for literally anything. It doesn't matter. You you pay your 40 bucks a month. It doesn't matter if you get robbed. They're not liable. Um, you go and get anything else, right? Ain't nobody liable for anything. You go to Comcast or Infinity or Xfinity or whoever it is in, the, in where you are and get your router from them. They're not liable for anything that happens to you. We as a community have kind of tried to take the torch of internet security and cybersecurity, not knowing the risks of taking said torch. And I'd, we're going to have to do that. Mitchell, make a note. <laughs> we're going to try and figure that one out. Um, because that, that is my concern. And I love the idea of guard dog and the idea of outsourcing that stress to another company so that if something happens, it's guard dogs. Issue. <laughs> it's not mine. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's leave it there before I get into any more trouble or expose myself to a lawsuit, uh, from anyone. Yeah, yeah, let's, thanks, let's do that. that. Mosey, if people want to connect with you, uh, connect with Backstage AV, follow you for your awesome rack building, where can they go and do that? Yeah, we're on uh, Instagram as Backstage AV, uh, one word. And I'm on Facebook and a lot of the forums just as Mosey Levy. You'll see me out there. Yes, you will. And, and seriously, if you want to see how to build a rack properly, go check his stuff out. It's literally artwork thank you Matt. katie if people want to connect with you learn more about kmb communications where can they do that yep so kmb communications pretty much on all the platforms or kmb comms you'll find us there and then with me katie mcgregor bennett i'm k-a-t-y-e that's how you know you found the right me and likewise all the platforms you find you search you shall find
Excellent. Thank you again. Thanks you all for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, you can hit me up on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and pretty much every other social platform. But more importantly, please visit aviation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. Resi Week.